Hey there, welcome to Sauce Unbound, brought to you by Sauce Group. I'm your host, Anna Dana, and this is the show where we chat with inspiring founders and experts to get an inside scoop on how they made their business success. And today with me is Nick Russell, co-founder and director of Duolo, a knowledge management solution that empowers digital teams to make better and faster decisions. Their Insights Have product was named a must-have research tool in 2022 by UX Planet. Congratulations. And they continue winning the market with an exceptional SaaS tool. So welcome to the show. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having us, Anna. Yeah, thank you. And, uh, you know, I already saw you and uh, learned a little bit about uh, what you do and how you do it from a webinar that you did with the guys from UserSnap, uh, which was pretty cool. And I learned about it and I was like, okay, we definitely need to talk. That's an exciting thing. Uh, but of course, I'd like to learn a little bit more about the journey to it, right? So maybe let's dig into your background a little bit. Yeah, sure. So uh, prior to Jule, personally, I was um, leading digital product teams um, throughout my career um, prior to yeah, the startup world. So. I was leading teams at companies like ASOS, Gusto, Thomas Cook, and The Telegraph. So I had quite a wide range of industries that I'd worked across, but uh, I'd been sort of, you know, experiencing firsthand the difficulty and the challenge when it comes to not just when you're a new joiner, but when you're embarking on a new initiative within the company or designing a new product or feature set or, or customer journey, just how difficult it was to get hold of key insights, key learnings that people had acquired across the business around their customers, around business objectives and goals. And bringing that all together was a really, really big challenge, almost you know, more challenging than it should be, it felt. And, you know, I was working with some of the very best teams, some of the fastest growing startups at the time, and everyone, the, everyone was struggling with this. And I just thought there has to be a better way to, to approach this. And at the same time, my best mate from childhood, Dan, who's also one of my co-founders, was experiencing exactly the same as a product designer. So he was doing lots of research with customers and helping to design the experience, going through exactly the same challenges and pains. And uh, yeah, so back in 2020, at the start of the pandemic, the opportunity presented itself to us to come together and effectively start building a solution that we never had as part of our um as part of our experience in the industry and and then three years later here we are today uh, with Jewel in its current form so that's the origin story if you like yeah wonderful okay i like when it's you know it, it's your own problem and you just start kind of building on top of it trying to solve your own pain but you know a lot of stories kind of go from there to, oh, let's fast forward three years. Uh, we kind of just, you know, build the product and then gave it to, to, to the customers. But that's kind of the trickiest part, right? How do you give the product to the customers and what uh, makes you as a team and the company go from zero to one, right? So maybe let's uncover that a little bit. So like, what were the first steps? There was you, there was your co-founder, but, you know, for some products, for some startups, it stays the problem of just two people, you know, if, if they cannot move the needle and just, you know, find the first customer, right? It's just an idea before uh, the money hits your pocket. So how did you go there? Yeah, good question. Yeah, what were our first steps? So we were, you know, 
we were, I remember when we started the business together and I was chatting with, I think one of my uncles about the, I, you know, that I'd been, you know, this was what I was doing now. And I was starting the business and he sort of said to me, wow, that's a really interesting time to start a business, like sort of in the midst of COVID and everything that was going on. And I kind of turned around to him and said, well, actually it's a really good time to start a business because there's no distractions. Everyone's working from home. So we can get in front of like super senior directors really quickly. We don't have to travel across town or make arrangements. So we can, you know, have these amazing interviews with these amazing people to sort of test, validate, confirm our initial assumptions around um, the problem space and what we wanted to solve for. And it was just super cheap, you know, just to, so it just had this kind of distraction free time uh with this amazing opportunity to get out there and test with dan that what we were thinking scaled industry-wide and so we we really used that first six months just the two of us absolutely zero tech whatsoever we knew that we wanted to become a technology company that ultimately we were like let's just keep things super cheap for now we uh we hadn't even raised any any funds at that point we just basically were working out of our own pocket and we decided, look, when we're working with all these great teams, there's never enough time to do the whole discovery piece properly. Uh, you know, and what I mean by discovery is, you know, speaking with customers, potential users, trying to figure out what the product might look like in form of prototype, starting to think about, you know, the market that you might want to tackle and starting to flesh that out as well. Um, and so we decided to do six months upfront discovery and we just got deep into it. Like we had these and still have these Miro boards from back in the day where we just like were just speaking with hundreds and hundreds of product managers, designers, researchers, stakeholders, data scientists, product leaders, design leaders. And we just mapped all of the conversations and started to figure out this kind of simplified mental model as to how teams approach um, turning customer insight into products and services and where the bottlenecks were and how we could streamline this thing. And so ironically, like at the same time as us using that period to that first chapter, if you like, to figure out our methodology, like what's the kind of um, thought leadership that we want to bring to the market, we're also thinking, there's got to be a better way than having a big messy Miro board to do this. So the, those two right. things came together. So we kind of developed the methodology and then we're also thinking, how could we do the product side better? And both of those things came together at the same time. So that was the first step, if you like, was a real deep dive into the psyche of, of the potential user and just realizing, wow, everyone we've spoken with has this problem everyone's looking for a better way to do this and we can be the guys that uh that that fill that gap right awesome and again like just on top of that a lot of times when you talk to somebody they're like yeah sure like there is this problem but i guess the actual validation happens again when the money hits your bank account right when they actually pay for the solution so at what point uh did you have something to monetize and how did you go around you know the pricing what was your first price for the product was it free and how did you go from there yeah good question so we following that discovery process um we realized we had something that was worth 
continuing with full-time basically and we raised a small friends and family angel round to get us going and that allowed us to to effectively start covering ourselves uh, so that we you know were no longer just continuing to eat into savings and credit and uh, and also um, bring on board our technical co-founder Mike so that's really when the kind of the pedal hit the metal if you like and to sort of trying to turn what we had in prototype form into a usable product that we could market and sell. And so Mike joined us in January, 2021. Uh, and I think we had a live version one of the product, a usable version of the product uh, within the first six months. And, and we had our first paycheck, which I still remember vividly to this day, uh, came in the September of that year. So the way that we did that was we worked with customers from the very beginning. So throughout that discovery period, pre-Mike, pre-us being a trio, we would continue and still continue to this day, the relationship with um, those customers. One of our big customers in the UK here, Zoopla, was one of the customers that we interviewed way back in 2020 and built prototypes with. So we effectively, we we worked with the customers to understand potential reference customers, if you like, to understand the problem, put solutions in front of them, tailor the prototypes. So by the time we got through to a usable product, they became our first 10 customers, if you like. So we, we'd gone through the whole journey with them that way. So yeah, I mean, the pricing is a, is a, is part art, part science and, uh, is something that you, you yeah. know, continually should continually experiment with. I think our first paycheck, if you like, was for a, you know, a fairly small monthly subscription to the product. And now we're also selling much larger annual and, and multi-year contracts. So it's amazing to cast your mind back and just see how far things have come and, and how the portfolio of things that you're offering and, and the pricing that you're offering evolves over time. So, uh, yeah, it's quite nice to think all the way back. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I really like to bring back, you know, the memories and the, the first checks because that's kind of like what everyone wants to, to know, like, what was the turning point? I know going from, Hey, I think I have a good idea to like, Oh, somebody paid me for, for a solution. So. Yeah, awesome. But uh, I also know that for all of you, for all three, right, it's it's the first company ever to build. So you're kind of like a perfect trio for a product team, right? But you had no experience in business. How did it affect anything, if, if it did at all? Uh, how was it, you know, building a product versus building a company or you know, doing it simultaneously. Yeah, I think that's been one of the of the biggest learnings. And, and you know, it's so easy in hindsight to look back and uh, even on the past week and sort of think, oh, how amazing was that? Was that week? you sort of erase all of the brutality and the chaos and everything that goes with being a startup founder. And actually, side note, one of the things I've started to do more recently is actually at the end of each day, note down, what was the one big positive thing that happened today? And I forced myself to choose what that thing oh. is. And it's really helped me to sort of 
get through the the volatility of of everything that comes with early stage business and just looking back on that actually on the weekend for the past couple of months it's quite an amazing thing to do so if anyone is sort of you know looking at ways to you know handle that that's been working really well for me so a bit of a tangent there but something that's uh, yeah super powerful I found yeah yeah that's great um yeah yeah so and yeah looking back you it, it's easy to paint a, a glorified picture um but one of the things that we just I guess because we were all coming into this you know fairly new Mike did have a bit of experience with a smaller venture prior to Julo. Dan and I had both done things that were either non-commercially driven or again on a small scale you know very different to SaaS and software so we all had the sort of uh, passion and the interest in starting a business but nothing of this sort of scale and, and size of challenge that we were tackling and so I say to people when they when they ask me oh I'd love to do you know I'd love to do that myself and what would you recommend I say listen day one you know you need to be thinking and I, and this is easier said than done now having some experience but you need to be thinking about the target market like the the, the customer and and the size of that market and how you're going to monetize what you're doing outside of the product that you're developing so every team that comes into startup has its own dna we were very much dream team modern dream team product team if you will you know product manager experience for myself product designer experience and dan and then the the product developer experience and mike but what became very apparent to us very quickly was that we had no idea how to develop a market we had no idea how to develop a go-to-market and we absolutely had no idea how to bring those two things together with your product strategy so we were super keen to build this amazing product and then we were kind of like once we started having some early signs of success you know the question suddenly flicks to okay well how do you turn this into a sustainable business how do you scale what you've done so far how do you make your marketing uh, and sales efforts as efficient as possible so that you can really start start to step up and step change the revenues and the growth. And so, yeah, for us, it was a baptism of fire in terms of the growth side of the business. And, you know, you learn because you have to and, and because you because everything is on the line, you you are so focused on on learning and nailing everything that, that's put in front of you. And I think that's the piece that I love so much about it is, you know, like it's ups and downs, but when you come out the other side of a new challenge, you feel, you know, 10 times stronger for that. And that's something that I never experienced in my life. Wow. That it, it does sound very inspiring. I mean, <laughs> you, I listen to you and, and I'm like, oh, maybe I should get there. <laughs> like, honestly, this is the best pitch ever for, you know, start your startup. But I guess, uh, yeah, I mean, of course, there are uh, some challenges and, you know, the mistakes that you're making uh, as a first time founder. But again, having this team, having this like super strong product team behind that product, uh, I kind of guess that it also gives you a certain advantage. Like you are actually building a perfect, amazing product 
uh, that people love, that looks great. And, you know, again, from some of the conversations on the podcast, I feel like, yeah, if, if there is a designer on the team or a product manager, it usually gives like you go to the website because, you know, when I do research, I go and see like how the tool looks like, what what the website looks like, like their copy and all that. And you can tell it's it looks a bit different. You know, it has a different vibe. You can feel how much thought they put there. And with you, it's kind of the same. I mean, I, I really admired what you did there. Uh, so were there any other like advantages uh, from maybe a customer point of view? Maybe there was some feedback that was, again, exceptionally helpful just in understanding that you are doing everything right on the product side. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, user feedback <clears throat> is absolutely critical on the product side of things, as objection handling is absolutely critical on the sales side of things. So you have to learn to deal with being rejected on a daily basis, you know, multiple times a day. And you have to develop a, a stoic mindset to, to everything that you do. And when it comes to the product, you know, what we, the advantage that we had is that we had feedback coming in from very, very early, right? Pre-code on the prototype level. And so we built that sort of culture with our customer base from the very off. And even with new customers now, like we rolled on Mozilla recently and we go through that process of, you know, onboarding those bigger customers and making it really clear that they can get in touch at any time with any problems, issues, feedback, you know, we're only a phone call or an email away. And that's the advantage of, you know, being at the earlier stage in some of the larger companies, they can get right in touch with the, with the founders and directors and have a conversation that way. So we, what did we do? We, we looked a lot into how we position ourselves and how we do that in a way that makes us look very different to everything that's on the market already. And that's absolutely key in the early stages. Like you want to stand out so that people talk and remark about you. And so you need to find the angle that, that really sets you apart from the rest. And uh, so we did a lot of work on, on positioning. We've done a lot of work at looking at the solutions, particularly in that upfront discovery, but we do it on a continuous basis, what other people are using in the industry and, uh, you know, how we help to move people away from, you know, incumbent systems and systems that just weren't really designed for the job. If you look at the user research industry specifically, which is where we're focused currently is, uh, it consists, you know, knowledge management consists of spreadsheets, wikis, shared drives, which are you know, super messy, or they require a lot of effort to turn into an effective insights repository. And then on the other end of the spectrum, there's the sort of all in one research analysis platforms, trying to do the insights repository bit, but doing it really badly. Uh, there's far too much going on. And they're even now some of them partnering with wikis, can you believe? to try and solve that problem, uh, man, it's a yeah. mess. Um, so we, we, we just do one bit and we do it really well. And that's the bit that no one else is doing. And so that's the insights hub, the insights repository. We basically make it super easy for people to consolidate their key research findings, their key learnings that they have on their customers and users and make this visible 
and engaging for wider stakeholders. And that's the bit that's missing, right? It's, there's a gap today between research teams, product teams and stakeholders. And we close that gap. We make it easier for people to make better decisions fast and connect the dots. And so that's the bit that's been overlooked in the past decade when it comes to, you know, repurposing tools like spreadsheets and things or using some of the all-in-one solutions. So that's our advantage. That's because we built it with stakeholders and teams from the off. We know how both of those groups work. We know what noise to get rid of and we know what to simplify and put into a product that speaks to both of those parties very clearly and very intuitively. This episode is sponsored by Rewardful.com. Looking for new ways to find customers for your SaaS business? Consider adding an affiliate program. Rewardful is the easiest affiliate tracking platform to set up, manage, and scale for SaaS companies. Log your customer acquisition cost and only pay affiliates based on results. Integrate Rewardful with your Stripe or Paddle account and set up your affiliate campaigns in minutes. Building a successful affiliate program can be a little bit intimidating figuring out where to get started. That's where Rewardful, has taken what they've observed from their most successful customers' affiliate programs and distilled that into an exclusive online course. The exciting part? Their affiliate marketing course is absolutely free. And by joining the waitlist today, you'll get early access to it as soon as it goes live. Join the waitlist at rewardful.com course, rewardful.com course, and turn your biggest fans into your best marketers. That's fascinating. All right. Thank you. So, and I guess, I mean, uh, being a product manager, product designer, product developer, you also have a bit of a, uh, I don't know, upper hand when it comes to uh, working with the feedback because it's been your realm for, for so long, right? So like you already mentioned, you know what noise to get rid of. So it's maybe a, a bit of an advantage because for some founders, Again, what I hear from the conversations here, it's very difficult to to see like who are we listening to, like what features we prioritize, what customer we're building for. Is it the biggest customer? Is it the, the most paying customer? Or is it just all the customers that you know bring the volume? So now, since you're moving a little bit as far as I can guess, a little bit upmarket. Has that changed a little bit for you? Like who you're listening? Is it the same, you know, 10 customers that were in the beginning? Or is it somebody else? Have you developed a bit of a more comprehensive idea of what customers you're listening to and whose uh, feedback you're prioritizing? Yeah, of course. So, yeah, so our retention has been pretty good from those initial set of customers as you can imagine like a, an insights repository where you're organizing managing all this key data is it is a very sticky product um, if it's done well and and so you know our sort of more recent wave of customers the ticket sizes are becoming bigger and I think we are you know which is great in terms of for our growth but what it does mean is balancing bigger opportunities with smaller opportunities as you say who do you listen to there and I think ultimately, you know, no one wants to, I mean, this is certainly a strategy and it's a strategy that people have uh, adopted and been very successful with in terms of um, 
partnering with a very one very big company, right? We hear about those organizations that will partner with like an IDO or an IBM or something like that. And they'll basically kind of become like a, yeah, a, like a, a partner to that company and they will right. build the product for their company and then they will see what the wider market appetite is like or they'll exit to that partner or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever works for them. I think there's a danger in doing that because if you're trying to solve a, a big problem for a big population, then the risk of that approach is that you end up basically becoming, you know, how do I put this? becoming an outsourced product IT team in some ways for that right. big company, building a product just for them and they get a really sweet deal. Yes, you become very successful off it, but you might not then have something that's relevant to the rest of the industry. And so, you know, I've always said that I think like playing in that sort of, uh, you know, space where you've got smaller and still large companies, but just not one big reliant company is a better place to be because you're going to be getting lots more feedback and you're going to also de-risk a couple of things, the product roadmap, but also uh, if that one big customer goes down, likely they won't because they're so big, but if they decide this isn't for us anymore, right. you're sort of done, right? Whereas with lots of customers, you're spreading your bets and you're also, mm -hmm. you're also putting yourself in a position where you can hold yourself accountable in a more... And again, this is not to downplay the, the, that strategy, but in it, what I've found, you can hold yourself accountable in a authentic, reliable way to your product roadmap, your vision. We have a really strong vision at Jewelo, solid, it's shared, it's agreed, it's understood, and it's something we developed in those earliest of days, and it hasn't changed. We're still heading for that same goal, that same sort of like five, seven-year goal that we set in the beginning and the advantage of having multiple customers means that we can take on board their feedback we can always look to the vision which we share with them as well and then we can use that to help articulate what we're going to work on right now what might come next and what might be later but is also something that you know is sat on the roadmap and might need some more discovery and, and we'll keep you posted on what's coming next but we're always going to do it based on customer value but you need to keep that business and the vision in mind as well. And so that's that's the key. And I think regardless, yes, of course, politics and contract size and all this stuff comes into play when you're making decisions. But ultimately, what you should be doing is is sort of, you know, gathering what users are looking for, what current business goals that links to within the business with you know, a sprinkling of these guys might have more of a more of a voice, but ultimately trying to level the play off it, playing field. That's the job of a, of a product manager, right? A product leader is to take all this data on yeah. and figure out the right choice as to not put the customer or the business at too much risk and add as much value as possible to both of those parties. All right. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Uh, all right. So, uh, Again, we're moving to bigger tickets. We're moving a little bit up market from startup to to scale up, uh, let's say, right? So how were you able to find that repeatable value and go into that sustainable growth trajectory? Yeah, good question. Yeah, so that's been a lot of the thinking that we've done through this year, basically, is how do we how do we take the what we've created as a core 
business a core offering and start to make each of those elements more streamlined and valuable. And I love the concept of the whole product by Jeffrey Moore. So he talks about, you know, the fact that you have your technical, your high-tech product, and then you have a number of products and services that augment that. And, and effectively that allows you to flex your offering based on the customer that you're speaking with. I think that's something we did really well at Jewelo. So our solution, if you like, is, is almost like a pick and mix bag. So not everyone is going to want just an insights repository or be able to just pick that up and run with it. You know, some teams might want some upfront coaching or some coaching alongside that to help people adjust and uh, adjust their mindset and, and their processes. And we also offer a, a service where for like super time poor teams, you know, our, our concierge team will actually build the initial repository for you. So we have these sort of pick and mix of solutions. And that, that's been a huge learning and a huge evolution and development of, of the business to develop those services alongside the technical product means that when we're sitting there on a discovery call and we're trying to understand someone's problem and can we help them, we have more of a sort of malleable solution. We can say, oh, okay, well, I think it sounds like you might benefit from the product, but also some of this coaching here, does that, does that sound right to you? And we sort of work through and, and arrive at a package with them. And um, so each of those elements of the business, you know, we are now in a position where, where we're doing that, we're doing that optimization for scaling. So we're looking at the product and we're looking at how we optimize in terms of the sort of first in experience and like how teams invite other collaborators and integrate with other tools and and uh, and polishing the core product that we've had out there for a little while um and then on the academy side of things the coaching services that we offer you know we have started to tighten what was fairly scrappy in the early days you know it was sort of miro boards and workshops and things that we created that we knew worked for us and other teams and we took teams through and we were like well you know can we can we can we neaten these up and can we take all the learnings from the first set of um customers and can we create reusable templates and actually fire these out and launch these out as free templates that people can self-serve and, and and guide themselves through and then if they need additional help or support, then who are they going to come to? They're going to come to us to, you know, say, hey, I want to now do X, Y, or Z. And so we've done a number of those and we're continuing to develop those. And then on the concierge side, the build side, we're doing we're doing the same in terms of, okay, once you've done a number of these builds, you know, you realize the process is fairly similar. And so in the product, how can we streamline things? But also from a process perspective, how can we streamline the build of these things? So you've got business refinement, product refinement in terms of going from startup to scale up, but you also have, um, you know, efficiencies and, and scaling up on those two other bubbles that I talked about, which is the market and the go-to market earlier, right? So sales and marketing, how do you um, streamline the pipeline how do you streamline the process of going outbound reaching out to people the messaging the sequencing um how do you get better at targeting the right you know the right types of customers and automate a lot of that process so that you're not doing as much of the sort of busy work of actually sending these messages it's you know set it up once fire it out and people that are interested will reply and we'll set a call up with them on the marketing side how can we um 
chisel down big chunks of content you know our, our, our white papers our our webinar recordings our blog posts and how can we use make use of tooling like ai and chat gpt to help us refine or you know help us think about a slightly different angle or sort of turn one piece of content into 10 pieces of content so effectively you're sort of like leveraging these technologies you're optimizing the processes so that it feels like the team is much bigger than it is internally um, and you're able to do yeah. things a lot faster and free up the founders to, to think more strategically about what next. Yeah, that's wonderful. But I, I also think like uh, I saw that, well, I saw you first at the webinar, right? And then I saw that you're doing more of those. And I was like, okay, but so, so many founders are actually afraid of doing things that don't scale, right? But I think this thing scale perfectly first of all a webinar or like a podcast is a way for you to talk not to just one-on-one -on -one with your customer but uh to talk with you know many right to present your idea what you're doing or do webinar and just like explain how different you are or just like lay out your expertise which again adds so much trust to the brand because that's what, where you're coming from, right? And they yes. can trust you because you know what you're talking about, right? So how did you go to that? How did you decide that you're going to do something that doesn't really scale as so many founders are afraid of? Yeah, good, good question. So yeah, jumping into things that you're afraid of or new is, is a regular occurrence as, as a founder and you just have to realize that the business and the vision is much bigger than you are you're part of a whole and so you have to face those challenges or opportunities face you know head on and take them on and you always learn and become stronger and enjoy them you know the most testing weeks are the most rewarding in in my experience and uh, so that's the first thing to to comment to to that point i think in terms of unscalable yeah you have to do things in an unscalable way to learn how to do them in a scalable way. Uh, you know, like you have to go through the pain yeah. of, of, of doing things completely manually in order to identify mm -hmm. which, where the bottlenecks are and where the really uncomfortable stuff is so that you can improve that and focus on improving that for your teammates, but also your customers, right? So in the earliest days of our concierge service, I was the one building these repositories for people. So I was literally, Makes you know, sense. Cool. I, will, I will go in and, and we'll take this away and I'll build the, the first few reports and insights into the system. And, uh, you know, that allowed us to spin up or to, to put into action this idea of concierge and to, and to develop that into now what it is today, but also through going through that and it was it was painful in the early days because there were things that weren't working so well and they you know there was and and our understanding was developing as well as to how to pull these things together in a way for for other companies and so but you 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 learn how to then optimize and automate it so you have to you have to do that the same on the sales front as well i remember probably christmas of 21 dan and i were were both working on sales at the time and we were just like trying to run before we could walk. Like we were setting up all sorts of automated sequences. I think at one point, like he'll probably be embarrassed that I'm 
explaining this part of the story, but we even set up like a Black Friday deal for a B2B enterprise software. Okay. Yeah, we experimented with all sorts of stuff and <laughs> some more successful than others. But, you know, to bring it back to the point about, about unscalability, we, yeah, Mike, he, he encouraged us to actually, because of his development experience, his technical experience, encouraged us to first walk the first mile manually and, you know, really ahead of us setting up any automation, really understand how to do the naught to one, go through all of that pain and then come back to automation. So that was like a real like, oh, okay, that makes a lot of sense. And having done that across multiple areas of the business now and seeing that, that you really have to just go through the pain to get the results. I mean, it's the same with anything in life, right? That is the way to then start to scale. And your point about you know, educating and brand building and trust and personality, all this stuff comes together, right? It's not, you know, we haven't spent, we, sorry, we haven't spent yet a, a, a penny on, on marketing yet. And so all of our marketing oh. comes down to webinars, blogs, you know, the newsletter, putting value first content out there. And ultimately, you know, we, ahead of you being global, recognized by everyone as the go-to place for insights repository which is our vision for the future but ahead of that is sort of like people are buying into you as much as they're buying into the product and so if you're able to put yourselves out there on webinars podcasts um we have a youtube channel we've been experimenting with and you know, ultimately people are going to watch those and, and and put a face to a name and then before you have your first call you sort of know a little bit about the person yeah. that you're buying from and that's really important it's the same as when you join a company and people on the wiki put their you know here's a bit about me and I like traveling and I'm a bit of a foodie and you know this is what I'm all about like just by putting yourself out there stuff will come back to you because you've you you are building that that brand and you are wrapping yourself into the the personal brand into the company brand and that's that's it's fun it's fun to do and it, and it's and it results in the results but you've got to keep pushing like overnight success you know companies just suddenly taking off and being this thing it's all bullshit like it, you behind every company that takes off is a lot of hard-working people that are pushing come come rain or shine and so you have to put yourself out there in order to get those results and that's how companies become successful Absolutely. Love that. I mean, uh, everyone's talking about the fact that, you know, the sales processes change and we're coming back to like more natural, hey, you know, here's what I have. Do you want to buy it? Uh, instead of just like a cold email or automations and ads. And yeah, putting your, your face out there is amazing. Like when I reach out to founders, I first go on Google and YouTube and watch them talk uh and see like what kind of do kind of a vibe check I, a feeling uh you know who i'm going to you know to talk to so and it helps immensely in like building relationships you know making the podcast a bit more personal and stuff like that and i guess well it's the same in sales right you build the relationship especially if you're you know going after bigger tickets and bigger companies so wonderful thanks thanks for sharing that i just have yeah. a couple more questions the usual ones all right the first one is of course what has been so far the biggest win and the biggest failure 
Yeah, sure. So I think the biggest win we we touched on a little bit earlier, for me, like the one that vividly sticks in my mind, you know, is the receiving that first payment for the product. I have a copy of that saved on my phone still as a favorite with the key details redacted. Um, Yeah, that's a big moment for any founder um, of any product. It's a sign. It's a very strong signal that you haven't gone crazy and and you can turn that one into a into a 10 and that into a hundred and that into a thousand and so on so it's it's the first it's the first real point of okay we are we are truly onto something that we can scale commercially and and so that's that's always stuck with me for sure um in terms of the biggest fail i would definitely say the biggest fail um, being a first-time founder is completely underestimating how hard it would be to start up a company and get to where we've got to. Um, honestly, it's absolutely brutal at times. And uh, maybe this will balance out my sales pitch for becoming a founder earlier on in our chat. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's I'm incredibly proud of, of of what we've been able to achieve so far as a team. And, and I'm really looking forward to that next 10x in growth that we're going after. But you have to be sure that you want to do this because it's going to test you in, in ways that you you didn't even realize was going, you know, was going to be possible. And uh, you need to be able to balance the ins and outs, the ups and downs of, of, of being a founder with having a really strong, healthy personal life you know your fitness the people that you surround yourself with your husband or wife boyfriend girlfriend friends like that's really like behind every founder behind every successful story is a ton of people support network and a a healthy mindset to to take yourself away from what can be a bit crazy at times and just balance the whole thing out that's what really keeps you going um through everything. So that the biggest fail has also been a, the biggest opportunity in a way. Yeah, to, yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. That's often the case. Wonderful. All right. And uh, well, the last one is about hack, right? It can be any hack growth, dealing with, you know, being a founder, uh, sales, anything that was, you know, working for you or still working for you hopefully maybe not very conventional for others but something that you're willing to share yeah of course so uh one of one of the hacks that works really well for us in recent years was linkedin voice notes this works really well for us in terms of cold outbound like we pretty much doubled our conversion open rate conversion overnight using this this tactic and everyone's doing it now, pretty much. I'm seeing it a lot more. And um, I think people are becoming more familiar with it as a um, as prospects as well. But if you haven't tried it or you're not sure how to do it, you can't do it on the web uh, version of LinkedIn. But if you go on your mobile and then you go to message uh, someone, direct message someone, uh, you can effectively drop them a voice note. Now, once you've sort of leveraged your connection requests to be able to to reach out to to your target profiles um it's a really yeah i just find it's a really it plays to the curious and so you know instead of a someone trying to read a message which you've tried to make as short as possible and never does justice what your business yeah. is all about how it can help they're just going to get like a little 
And who doesn't want to click that play button, right? Even if it's been sent from some, to them at the time, random stranger, people open that and listen to it because they're curious to know who sent me a voice note. And that has opened so many doors for us. So that's a little hack on the sales growth front that we found working really well. Oh, wow. So interesting. I think I first got one of those almost a year ago. And it just like hit yeah. me in the face. It was like, what is that? <laughs> it was so uh, new. I never opened it. Honestly, I was just like, oh, no, 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 no. That's too much. I mean, we, we have to get to know each other first before you send me an, <laughs> an audio. Yeah. But um, maybe, I mean, I, I could understand that, you know, if you're curious, like what it could be, or maybe, you know, for me, for example, when something like this happens, I go to the profile first and I see like, is there anything of interest? Uh, you know, mm. and if, yeah, then I'll probably listen, but it's interesting. Yeah, so okay. Right. Yeah, you're so right. That is it's, truly it's, a it's, hack. It's part of a, of a, you've highlighted there, part of a few tactics, right? Like it's, as you say, like not everyone is going to open that straight away. They might explore around your profile. So your profile has got to be like a landing page. It's got to be about who you are the problems you're solving, the value you add, you've got to have posts that you've been sharing, uh, you know, put it, having put yourself out there because people are going to do that, that sense check, uh, that background check before maybe opening that. So there's definitely, you know, it's always with these hacks, it's a few things that come together. Um, but yeah, it's something that worked really well for us. Um, and we've moved on to other things now, um, but, um, but certainly seeing, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm getting them now from, from software companies, right? Hey, do you want some more developers? <laughs> so yeah. So it's kind of like, okay, what can we do now? What's the next stage? What's the next thing that we can try to, uh, yeah, to keep going forward and upward. Right, right. Always move, move the goalpost. Uh, wonderful. Well, thank you for sharing it and sharing the story. Uh, I loved it. I would honestly uh, love to ask a lot more questions uh, because you're uh, working with AI, you're, you're building new features. Uh, happy to do it again, if you're willing. Uh, yeah. And yeah, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, my pleasure. And um, yeah, I'd love to be back for a part two at some point in the future. So yeah, let's dig more into the details, technology side of things. And yeah, just chat a bit more about the progress since this one. It's been it's been good fun. Yeah, sure. Thank you so much, Nick. And take care. That was yet another awesome conversation on SaaS Unbound. We're always looking for new guests to share their experiences. We mostly talk with bootstrapped SaaS founders. And if you're one, reach out to me directly at anna at saas.group or find me on LinkedIn. If you're not bootstrapped or even not SaaS, but have a great story to tell, we want to hear from you too. And obviously, SaaS Unbound wouldn't be possible without the SaaS group a founder-friendly private equity company that buys awesome businesses that people love to take them to even greater success. If you're thinking about selling your company or just exploring your options, feel free to visit saas.group, fill in the form, and expect a response in under 24 hours.